Thank you for the kids. Thank you, Lord, that they can learn about what being together is a bit, is like. And Lord, we do ask for them that you would help them to love your good design of being together, not just as kids, but as they grow. Lord, for a lot of us, um, we're learning the hard way of what it means to be together and how to live together and, and walk with you and walk with others. Lord, we pray. Um, thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about that and that you, you want to help us. And so we ask, Lord, for your help now as um, we open up your word. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to know that you have us here together because of Jesus. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts that we will receive what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that you'd protect us from distraction. Protect us from thinking too much of ourselves. We love you and we thank you for your word and for this time to be together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Psalm 133. So we're going to be in our eight-week series. And uh, I said good morning, church, not just because I hadn't been up here um, yet this morning, but it's really great to say hello to a whole bunch of people all at once. And that's what the word church means. And it's, it's, our Bibles translate it from the Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering, assembly, congregation. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, he means that he is going to build his assembly, his congregation. He's going to build us. And so I tell you this because we've been going through an eight-week series through the book of Psalms called Worship Is. And you're going to hopefully get tired of me hearing it, me saying it, but we are designed to be worshipers with everything that we are, with everything that we have, everything we, we've been given, whether it's good things like a saving and trusting relationship with God, his good word, the gifts that he has given each of us, the ability to praise him, and the hard things in our lives, such as the confession of sin, and bringing our pain and our sorrows to him in lament. But as worshipers, I, we need to ask this question, and I'll pitch it to you. Are we to worship alone? Are we to live this life alone? Are we to go through the trials and struggles of this life alone? Is the Christian's understanding of faith individualistic to where it's my faith, mine, my own, it's my life? Is that what God really has intended for us? A major part of what Jesus intends for his church is that we be together, not alone. Worship is together. 
And what does together look like? Does it look like what we see so often, an ideological wasteland where people are united together against someone else? Where we're always... (laughs) Does together mean where we're always outraged together? We're always anxious together? We're perhaps under a common cause, but we're always anxious because in truth that banner is actually not a good footing to stand on. Or do we or do we think it looks like this picture I found? Do we think it together looks like that? Maybe they're texting each other to I don't know. Just together as if the physical proximity of people were enough. Is that how we're supposed to live life? And kind of with this kind of stuff, don't you perhaps feel more isolated and alone perhaps than ever when you can just send a text, send an email instead of call somebody or meet them face to face? Well, (laughs) it should come as no surprise that God always has a better way in mind. Worshiping together is to be the warp and woof, the structure where people can worship the living God in spirit and in truth as uniquely created individuals in God's image and with one another. If you've experienced this, you can say yes to this psalm, and my hope is that we will all be able to say yes to this psalm as we worship together as a church. So, if you've gotten there, Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Psalm 133. A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the, be- on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You can have a seat. Did you notice the refreshing words of that psalm? Good, pleasant, unity, precious, oil. We'll get there. Dew, blessing, life. Worship is together. Now this psalm, is a part, as we get going here, is a part of a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. You may have heard me read that, a song of ascents. It goes from Psalms 120 through 134. And this collection was possibly put together for a couple of purposes. One, it was either a, a, the psalm book or a reminder psalm book for the people of Israel when their 70 years in captivity in Babylon were over. And they were traveling back home together. They were coming back from that exile. But even more frequently than that, these songs were were sung by traveling caravans of ancient Hebrews as they would go three times a year to the city of Jerusalem together to worship in the temple. So, the question is, how do we as almost exclusively non-Hebrews here, understand this psalm. Well, praise God because of Jesus. The Old Testament is relevant for us 
For in it we find out what Jesus fulfilled and what story we're all a part of. One of the beauties of the Psalms is that while they are poetic, while they are filled with imagery, they proclaim reality. And we're going to look at this reality of worship being together as we start with what is real. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. What is real? Unity is real. When? How good and pleasant it is. What is real? Unity. Well, what is unity? What comes to your mind when you're at, when asked that question? What's unity? There are loads of definitions of unity out there, and many of them from first world countries who look whose landscape looks anything but united. Outrage culture, uncivil discourse. Maybe you've heard the can't we all just get along? That's what some people's definition of unity is, just getting along. But will that stand? Maybe the reason that question of getting along is so frequently asked is that we keep hoping the answer would be, yes, we can, without having to face up to the whole picture of real unity, which includes God. That whole picture of unity can be found in this book, the Bible. God's word. And what's interesting is that the Bible itself can be used as an illustration of this. This book, the Bible, is not to be fully understood just according to its individual parts. Some people start off by defining the Bible as 66 books by over 27 different authors across thousands of years. Great. But that's not a definition of the Bible. That's just describing its parts. That's like somebody coming up to you or me and saying that we're just our kidneys or just our eyes or just the shape of our hips. And so often when we do that, we strip people of their dignity. Yes, we have kidneys. Yes, we have eyes. Yes, we have hips. But that's not all of us. We are whole persons, not just material bodies with parts. And God's word is not just the calculated total of its parts. There's a reason the Bible in itself refers to all of God's words as God's word. It's unified. The Bible says a lot of things about a lot of different things, but all of it is ultimately about one thing. One thing. The revelation of God for sinners of revelation of God for salvation to sinners across all time, including you and me. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, this book is a unified whole that tells us who God is and how he has worked to bring us back to himself, making a people for himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So when this psalm says how good it is when brothers dwell in unity, it lines up with how God has designed his book, how God has originally designed his creation, and who God actually is. 
That's been his aim from the beginning. In Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There wasn't division in it. Things were unified under God then. Note the distinction. Not uniform, where everything is exactly the same. That's not God's idea of unity, and it shouldn't be ours either. But unified, whole, at peace with one another. And with his word, and with the physical creation that he made, it tells us something about who he is. Just like a piece of art, or a piece of music, or, or a book, or, or a writing or something, tells us something about that that composer, that artist, that writer. We get a glimpse into who this kind of person is. And so, if this book is unified whole, if creation was designed to be a unified whole, what does that say about God? Well, the, the scripture tells us in Genesis, this really s- strange way of saying it, if it's one God, let us create man in our image after our likeness so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them so our image design as people is to reflect god's nature character and rule over the whole creation it is tied up with who he is unity is real because god is real God is, is, is in himself unity. Have you thought of ever thought of that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, which says that God is one in essence, three in persons. That's super simplified. But that's what Scripture means when Jesus comes forward and says, I and the Father are one. Or... In Deuteronomy, when it says, Behold, our God, He is one. He is unified within Himself, and He desires for us to be unified, to dwell in unity, to be together. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Who's this for? What does it mean when it says brothers? Is it just like the brotherhood of mankind? This is for the people of God. Brothers and sisters, for the people of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a short, really excellent book called Life Together. And he writes, My brother is rather that other person who has been redeemed by Christ, delivered from his sin, and called to faith and eternal life. All who hoped for God's promises of redemption through the Messiah, and all who trust that Messiah who is now all who trust in that Messiah who is now known Jesus, those are our brothers and sisters. That's who he's talking about in this psalm. This kind of unity actually doesn't work for any other family aside from the family of God. Because it's all centered around a person the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus himself has been, is in Scripture called the head of what? The head of the church. 
So when we think about this church, it's not necessarily Aaron's church or Bill's church or Connie's church or Zane's church. It's Jesus' church first and foremost. And we get to be a part of it because he, in his mercy, has made a body, a unified body out of people, men, women, boys and girls who trust in the Lord Jesus, who died to save them from their sins. And we get to be part of what uh, one of the ch- one children's book calls a forever family. Unity is real because Jesus has a body, his church. And so just like a body, we're designed to work together, function together, live together, dwell in unity. Let's not be naive and say that the church has never hurt one another that the people of God have never hurt one another? Is that what God really intends, though, when he says, let... Does does it eliminate that possibility here? No. No, we still wrestle with a sinful nature. I mean, that's why things got broken in the first place, divided in the first place. And that's why it's so good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. because it points back to what God originally intended and it points forward to what God's going to do in bringing all things to himself to make all things new, to make a people for himself. We worship together because unity is real. So the question we need to ask each of us in this room is because unity is real, with the people of God. Will we participate in it? Will we participate in in that unity that God has given us? That's there for us to enjoy and be a part of? Or do we sit on the sidelines? Saying, well, it's so great that I'm part of a church that does this unifying thing that I'm not a part of. Let's not stay there. This is, we are to be a body that works together because Jesus is a whole person and he has a whole body. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Dwelling in unity is real and it gives the world a real picture of what Jesus does. So, because it's real, how do we motivate ourselves to participate? Well, we don't really have to stir it up he gives us two he gives us a couple pictures here that are aimed to motivate us aimed to encourage us to living toward unity loving one another toward worshiping together so what is unity like what is worshiping together like verse 2 it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes everybody resonates with that right No, I didn't just pick, I didn't pick this song because it has my name in it. 
This has nothing to do with me. Well, this made sense for ancient Hebrews, but in the 21st century, we need to unpack this a bit. And Lord willing, we'll do it without killing the intent of this poem. Oil. Anointing oil. Let's start there. Ancient Israel, people didn't just go around pouring anointing oil on their heads and their beards. This was special. This was precious. And unity is precious. This was used in Israel to consecrate or to make holy or to set apart someone or something to a holy purpose. It indicated God's appointment and favor on them. This wasn't crude oil. This was olive oil of the highest quality. And it was mixed with a whole bunch of aromatic spices. So it wasn't just like shiny. It smelled sweet. So everybody knew that it was around. And if you were walking and if you were with the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness, somebody who had on perfume would smell different. And it was recorded in the book of the law that anyone who replicated this recipe for anything outside of the tabernacle worship and later temple worship, they were to be cut off from the people of God, cast away from the presence of God, because this was, a, this was precious. This was a serious deal. So what does it mean for us? It means that God takes unity very seriously and wants to protect it in his church. Do you have that same mindset? Do we have that same mindset? That we want to protect unity in this church? Does it mean that we never disagree? No. But when we disagree, how do we disagree? Do we disagree with an aim of winning? Or do we disagree with an aim to reconcile, to be together, to say that we may not agree on certain things, but let's agree that we have one Lord Jesus Christ. And let's seek for unity in Him. But what else, but what else does this oil mean, this anointing oil? Because this is more than, again, this is more than just oil that you pour out of a jar on your head. Acts 2, the fulfillment of the last couple verses of Joel 2, which says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my, what? Spirit. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that distinguishes us as the people of God and consecrates us for fulfilling the good design God has for his church. Unity is precious because it is a mark of the Holy Spirit at work. Just look at this picture from Acts 2, once they, the Holy Spirit has come down upon the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So, does our church reflect a kind of unity like that? We don't have apostles running around doing signs and wonders, but are we watching for God to work in his people? Are we uniting with each other to see God working in our lives and the lives of the people of this town and this area? Unity is also precious because it means that Jesus is our high priest. Look at the text. Why, why does this, this psalm make such a big deal of the head, the beard, and the robes of Aaron? Again, not me. Aaron, the brother of Moses, the high priest. Moses, who was consecrated God, by God as the high priest of, his, of God's people, Israel. That was Aaron's role. Aaron was charged with ensuring the acceptable worship of the people of God. He and his sons were the ones to offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people. That means, that meant, he stood for the whole nation before God. And by his anointing, distinguished them from the other nations around them. So the readers of this psalm would have known that. And hopefully you, you have, have had some idea of that. But praise God, this psalm doesn't, this psalm says, that talks about Aaron doesn't just stand for Aaron. He was never meant to be the ultimate high priest. And if this psalm stops at Aaron in the old covenant with Moses, we should really probably move on. Aaron is not our high priest. Well, then who is? Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 6. Yes, that's the short answer. <laughs> Jesus. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our high priest. So all of this to say, oil running down the beard of Aaron is not merely about Aaron. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And it's, not a, and it's about his salvation. That's what makes this unity so precious is that he sacrificed himself once for all he didn't have to keep making sacrifices as the high priests before did. And because it proclaims salvation, it proclaims that we who trust in him are brothers and sisters in God's family. Jesus thought it, that this family was precious enough to die for. So we should think that as well. That this is precious. And I don't know about you, but I have had, by God's grace, many, many experiences in my life 
to see that grace of the preciousness of unity. And one of the most recent, and I'm, I'm going to put them on the spot. I haven't talked to any of them. so. Um, but one of the aspects of, sh- of displaying this unity is showing honor to them. Um, is that our elders here have um, been supporting me and my family in prayer and wise counsel as I navigate through a difficult situation in life. And may, and I'm not saying that to point out the difficult situation. I'm saying they have stepped forward to show unity. Maybe you're in a difficult situation right now. Maybe as you try to understand from last week how to lament to God, it feels painful and lonely. Or, going back a few more weeks, confessing sin can feel very isolating and vulnerable. And lament seems so uncommon, even in a world where lament is greatly needed. But when a brother or sister in Christ comes alongside you and says, Hey, I don't know where you're at, but can I pray for you? Or someone sends you a text with a scripture that just seems to be just what you needed for your discouraging day. Or when someone in the church reminds you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still for you today. Even though you've sinned, you're still his. Or even a godly brother or sister who gets together with you for coffee and lovingly confronts you with an issue of sin in your life, not out of trying to be holiness police, but because they love you. Those kind of moments, countless other moments, those are precious. And they're not only precious, they're life-giving. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The psalmist says that the goodness and pleasantness of worshiping together is like the precious oil that makes holy. Then here he describes that goodness and pleasantness is like dew. Or some translations read it like light rain. Isn't this good? Unity is not like a drought. And unity is also not like a torrent flood flood water that destroys, that breaks up the ground and destroys the crop. It is like a gentle rain that falls on thirsty ground. Now here's a picture of Mount Hermon. These are actual places in, in the Middle East. Mount Hermon is this huge kind of set of mountain mountains that are just at the very, they were at the very northern border of ancient Israel. They're currently in Syria. And as you can see, they're one of the very few mountain ranges in that region that have snow on them. And so moisture is carried from this mountain range to the land south of it, which is Israel, in a couple ways. One, when 
when the when it cools down at night and in the desert, if you know anything, it, it usually gets really, really hot during the day and really, really cool during the night. And when, when it's cool in the night, moisture from the air condenses and becomes dew. And it settles on the ground and it nourishes and, and is soaked up by everything that's been dry all day. It's also the location of the headwaters of the Jordan River. And that's, that is what it looks like. That's in Israel. Can you... <laughs> And it's the largest river in Israel, and it provides nutrients from Mount Hermon to the lands below. It supplies the Sea of Galilee with fresh water, and it runs throughout the country. And God says that the unity among believers is like this, life-giving. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, or to follow along with the other passage here, it's like the dew of Hermon which runs down on the mountains of Zion. Mount Zion is a, comparatively, as a physical location, is a smaller set of hills to the south where Jerusalem is set. Unity is life-giving. And we get this amazing statement after he describes what it's like. He says, for there, the Lord has commanded what? The blessing. What's that? Life forevermore. Just like Aaron in the verse before, Zion here is not meant to be ultimate. But this is not, this is not the ultimate that physical ground on the patch of Israel is not meant to be ultimate. It's, not, it's to point to something beyond itself. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24. But you, that's you and me, anyone who comes to, comes to Jesus through faith, but you have come to where? Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly, there's that word, ecclesia, that word that we translate church, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It is in this eternal kingdom of God with the people of God, with God himself, that God commands this blessing. He says, this is going to be the ha- this is going to happen, and he's doing it. God's blessing of brothers and sisters dwelling in unity in his presence is this. It's eternal life. Have you ever thought about the unity of the church as being part of that? Eternal life. Unity is... Unity is a real, precious, life-giving gift. We can't fabricate it on our own. We can't arbitrarily call it precious. And we can't force it to refresh people. And we don't have to. God commands the blessing. In Him, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we are given life as the people of God. So unity is not just refreshing and life-giving in the sense that when we see it, we're encouraged and bolstered up. 
Unity is literally life-giving. Before Jesus went to the cross as our sacrifice, he prayed to the Father for his disciples who were there with him. And he prayed for us. Listen to what he prayed in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then a little later in the prayer, I do not ask for these only, the disciples who are physically with him at the moment, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even, even as you loved me. You hear how many times he said, one, unity, unified with him, with God the Father? That's how this psalm flows. Three times, unity is described as unit, as running down or falling down. And if our source of blessing, our source of unity is greater than Mount Hermon, which provides rain and water for the land below it, God, our loving Father, we should know that it is good and pleasant for the brothers to dwell in unity. And we should pursue this. So what does this mean for us at York Evangelical Free Church? Sorry, got mixed up a little bit there. If unity is available to us, and it is, and it's this good, let's not stop at being together on this, in the same room on a Sunday morning. Let's not just be here. Let's build together. Let's be united together. You know, for, someone has said forever is a long time. And if we're going to live forever as brothers and sisters together, let's start unity here. Let's get to know each other here. And let's do life and walk with each other here. I was reminded this week of absolutely phenomenal, one of my favorite books of all time, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Written, not so, if, if you're not, it's okay. It was written 341 years ago from an English jail cell. So kind of had a rough beginning. But it's a fictional portrayal of a man named Christian who sets off upon becoming a believer. He sets off on a journey toward heaven, which is this, in, the, in the story called the Celestial City. 
And near the end of the first part, it's he's just as he's near the journey's end that he must face a river. And that river is death. And he has to pass through. But he doesn't have to go it alone. So the language is older, and it's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but hopefully it will give us a picture of this life-giving preciousness of the unity of believers as we worship together. Because we're all going toward the same goal. Now, I saw further that betwixt them, this is how old it is, and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over. The river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much stunned. But the men that went with them said, You must go through, or you cannot come at the gate, that is, the gate of the celestial city. Then they had, then they addressed themselves to the water. And entering, Christian began to sink, and crying out to his good friend, Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his waves go over me. Selah. Then said the other, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Then Christian said, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And And with that a great darkness fell upon Christian, so that he could not see before him. Also here, he in great measure lost his senses, so that he could neither remember nor orderly talk of any of those sweet refreshments that he had met with in the way of his pilgrimage. Anybody been here? But all the words that he spake still tended to discover that he had horror of mind and his and the heart and heart fears that he should die in that river and never obtain entrance in at the gate. Here also, as they that stood by perceived he was much in the troublesome thoughts of the sins that he had committed, both since and before he began to be a pilgrim. It was also observed that he was troubled with apparitions of hobgoblins and evil spirits. Forever and anon, he would intimate so much by words. Hopeful, therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yea, sometimes he would be quite down, and then ere a while he would rise up again half dead. Hopeful would also endeavor to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate, and men standing by to receive us. But Christian would answer, It's for you. It's you they wait for. You've been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you, said he to Christian. Ah, brother, he said, Surely if I were right, he would now arise to help me. But for my sins, he hath brought me into the snare and hath left me. Then said Hopeful, My brother, you quite forgot the text, where it is said of the wicked, There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind 
that which heretofore you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was in a muse a while, to whom, to whom also hopeful added this word, Be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again, and he tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was after that as still as a stone until they were gone over. Christian, therefore, presently found ground to stand upon, and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus they got over. Now upon the bank of the river on the other side they saw two shining men again who, were wait, who waited for them. Wherefore, being come out of the water, they saluted them, saying, We are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those that shall be heirs of salvation. Thus they went along towards the gate. And a little later it says, The talk they had with the shining ones was about the glory of the place, who told them that the beauty and glory of it was inexpressible. There, said they, is Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men made perfect. We need people like hopeful in our lives. And when we walk together in unity, as we all prepare to meet Jesus face to face, we can be life-giving. We can know each other as precious. And we can delight and give thanks to God because it's real. Unity is real. And because it's real, we can worship together. Father, thank you that you chose not to leave us alone. Thank you that many times in spite of us, you didn't leave us alone. And you brought others alongside to encourage us, to build us up, to help us hold fast to you. And many times you, by your grace, have used us to do the same for others. And I pray, Lord, that you do that more and more and more and more. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are struggling. And I pray especially for those who feel as though they are struggling alone. Please, help us as a church to ensure that we all never struggle alone, but that we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, that we would love one another and that the world would see that you are our Lord and that we are your disciples. And let us invite them to be part of this, to be together 
with us in you. Lord, we ask this and we give you thanks that it is good and pleasant for us to dwell together in unity. We pray these things in Christ's name.